So, here you are, too foreign for home, too foreign for here, never enough for both. Ijuoma Umebinyo, Diaspora Blues. What makes you smile and adds a spring to your step? What does it mean to belong? And how do we build a home away from home? Diaspora Blues is a show that contemplates what is and what could be. Join Busto and Bigwa every Monday at 2.30 on 3CR Community Radio. Produced by Yan. Good afternoon. Welcome to Diaspora Blues, a 3CR program produced and presented on the sovereign lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. Diaspora Blues also airs on Tuesdays at 3.30pm on Radio Skid Row, a community radio station in Sydney. My name is Ayan Shurwa. If you're listening to this live, it is 17th of May in Melbourne. We hope your weekend was blessed and highly favoured. So last year we spoke to Tony Bowie and Lana Nguyen about the Vietnamese bilingual program. At the time, the bilingual program was on its way out after serving the community for close to 20 years. However, the fight to establish a new Vietnamese bilingual program isn't over yet. Today, we hear from Brendan, one of the people behind the campaign, Viet Speak. Viet Speak is a community organization fighting to build a Vietnamese bilingual language program in Melbourne's West. And later in the show, we'll hear a speech by Janine Haroon, who spoke at the Free Palestine Rally in Melbourne. Unfortunately, I was unable to attend that event, but one person who did go and was kind enough to share this audio with me is Iris from Querying the Air, so I want to give a shout out to my friend Iris. Alright, so we'll open the show with Brandon giving us an introduction about themselves. We hope you enjoy this interview. My name is Brendan. Uh, I've been working with the Vietspeak campaign since about I think, August, September last year where we started off trying to save a Vietnamese bilingual program at Footscray Primary in Melbourne's West. Um, it Soon after, it's you know, converted it into a campaign more broadly for Vietnamese bilingual education. Um, and you know, how I got into it was, uh, I think I saw like a change.org petition originally from one of the parents back in uh, August. And it actually had a lot of signatories. It was like, I think at the time, it might have been like at least 10K. Like that was a fair bit and it was actually spread around in um, a lot of those Facebook groups for Vietnamese uh, you know overseas Vietnamese people so uh, it got me interested uh, from that and if you think about back to that time this is at a time when I think you know people were really conscious of race people were really conscious of um, you know diversity and representation and when I looked at you know this whole case of Footscray Primacy, it just it just completely felt off. And if I just give you some of the context, you know, for people that don't know, Footscray you know, has a lot of Vietnamese population. Um, it has, uh, so it has a lot of Vietnamese people, that's for one. Um, and it has a school that was going to change its bilingual program from Vietnamese to Italian. And, I, and we know that from the fact that, you know, there's very few Italian speakers left in Footscray. So there's almost like eight times more Vietnamese speakers in Footscray than there are Italian speakers. Mm, that, so, sorry to cut you off. If that is the case, if there are more Vietnamese speakers, yeah. because that's what the census also um, backs you up on, why was Italian chosen? Like, how does that make 
any sense. Exactly. So that's that's what like initially that was my question I had in my mind. And the more I dug into it, the less sense it even made. Um, so even if you took the second or third language, and that would lead you to choose, you know, Mandarin or maybe Hindi. But you know, like Italian was so far down the list, you couldn't make sense of it. And the only way I could make sense of it is, and I started digging in, like who makes these decisions? So I look at the principal, I look at the composition of the school council, and you know, when you look at it, you've got 11 white people and like one Vietnamese person on, on the school council. And, you, and if you look up further up the management change of the Department of Education, more white managers, um, etc. And so you've got this whole system where decisions are being made, you know, about Vietnamese people, Vietnamese students, Vietnamese families, but they're not there at the table. They're not there on the school council, they're not there as principal. So And when you speak to a lot of people, the the reason why they did it was, I mean, pretty, we think it's just a matter of prestige. You know, some languages carry, you know, more prestige than others. And, you know, from a white Anglo family's perspective, they think uh, Italian is more prestigious, you know, more valuable, uh, more beneficial than Vietnamese. Yeah, so I did a bit of reading into this yeah. and as you accurately pointed out, there's languages that are considered prestige and there are languages that are considered community language. Mm. Is that where Vietnamese falls under? Yeah, so the term community languages is, is exactly as you described. So they're, they're typically the languages that migrants speak. Um, so the you know, language that migrants bring with them to Australia. I mean, you could also call Italian the community languages because, you know, in, in the city of Melbourne, in the greatest in Melbourne, there's a lot of people from Italy and they speak Italian. So for our audiences who've been following this story, so last year we covered this, the program was axed in 2020, but that wasn't the first time that the program was at risk, right? It also happened in 2016. Yes, it did. It happened, uh, I think there was another campaign to save it back in 2016. So it's been going on for quite some time. They've been pressured to cut off uh, this program and replace it with something else. From what you've read and what you know, was the community informed about the program being at risk? From my perspective, from many like parents' perspective, no. The answer is no. But of course, the school, Department of Education will answer yes. But when you look at the whole process holistically and what they try to do, you get a sense that they already wanted, they already knew what the answer was. They already knew the end that they wanted to get to. And they worked backwards to try to figure out a process that would get them to that end. And so they would hire consultants, um, you know, either internal to the Department of Education or external. Uh, and they would run through a process and you know it was designed to get to a certain answer as opposed to really feeling out what the parents actually desired. And there was, a, I think, uh, a point where they sent out a survey saying, here's all the languages you can choose from for, for the bilingual program in the coming years. But Vietnamese wasn't included as an option. There wasn't an option to keep the status quo. It was only, so they, they'd already resolved to get rid of Vietnamese and then the only question that was put to parents is, what's the new language you want? 
So th there wasn't like an yeah. option to express that view that hey, we wanted to keep Vietnamese. It was already resolved to get rid of it by the time they, they put the question to parents. We're going to pause the interview right here, play some community announcements, and we'll be back after a minute or so. Get ready to add your support during our annual Radiothon and be part of community-powered radio. 3CR Radiothon Fundraiser, June 2021. To donate, call 03-9419-8377 or donate online at 3cr.org.au. 3CR Radiothon. Community Powered Radio. And welcome back. You're listening to Diaspora Blues, a program produced and presented at 3CR Community Radio and also aired on Tuesdays at 3.30pm on our sister radio station, Radio Skid Row. We now return to the rest of our conversation with Brendan. In this next segment, Brendan explains the difference between a language program and a bilingual program. He also discusses how to bring back the program and the benefits of an immersive bilingual program. They also share their personal experience of growing up bilingual in Australia. So once the program was axed, the school suggested what is called the Vietnamese language program. I understand that that is different from the bilingual program. Yeah. Can you tell our audiences what the difference is and how one benefits the community more? Sure. So the, the language program is probably what your listeners might be familiar with because, you know, they went to school in Australia and it's typically your one hour a week, you know, load class. So, you know, probably you've done Italian or Japanese. That's, those are the two most common low classes. And, you know, it's one hour a week. So very rarely does anyone, I don't think anyone has come out of that proficient in the language from only doing one hour per week. Um, unless they were already, you know, doing classes outside of school and come from that background. Um, whereas the bilingual program, and I almost don't even like the name bilingual program because it, it's... It's more of a, a bigger thing than that. It's not just a program. It's a, I think principals like to say we're a bilingual school because it takes a whole of school approach to it. Um, and I think the U.S. term is more uh, apt. It's you know they call it dual language immersion. And what that means is that you'll learn the language, not just as a separate subject, but you'll learn subjects in that language. So you'll learn math in the language. You might learn science in that language. You might learn, you know, art or P in the language. Um, so you are immersed in the language. And typically, uh, the bilingual programs, they split it 50-50. So 50% 50 of the time, you'll be learning in English. 50% of the time, you'll be learning, you know, in another language called a Vietnamese. Um, and there's another concept called two-way immersion, where, so not only is the instruction time split 50-50, but the student cohort is curated. So you've got 50% native English speakers, and 50% native Vietnamese speakers. So inside the classroom, they're feeding off each other and like one is helping out the other to learn the other language. If the program was to be reintroduced, a bilingual program, how would that be done? Is there a phasing stage? Like how does that look like? Um, there's a lot of steps involved. Um, but in terms of phasing, I mean, how you do it to make sure that the existing students, they don't ex have a disruption 
because you know they weren't aware of such a program and they probably didn't want to sign you know, not necessarily wanted to sign up for it so you'd introduce it by saying oh, okay in say you know 2022 it'd be only for prep and then in 2023 it'll be for prep and then grade one mm. and then 2024 it'd be prep grade one and grade two and then slowly after what six seven years the whole school be covered by the program so we've looked at what the program is why it should be implemented i guess in the western suburbs considering the cultural makeup and the languages that are spoken at home tell us about the benefits of a bilingual program yeah i, I tend to group the benefits in the three categories like the a b a b and c so the first a being academic achievement so there's a lot of studies to show and this, these studies have been going on for a long time. It's not a very recent thing. These, I think bilingual programs have been going on in some form in 30, 40 years. So there's a lot of research backing it. And it actually shows that people actually learn math, English faster. They actually get better scores. Um, and, and it's a little bit counterintuitive because people think, well, if my child is spending half the time learning his target language, won't they score lower in English? Right, because that's kind of like the mental model of, of learning. Right, if you spend less time in it, therefore you get lower marks in it. Right, mm. but it's actually not the case because learning a language um, at that age is different than learning, you know, subjects when you're older, because your brain is a sponge at that age, and it's the prime age. At that age, I mean, like you know, from zero to to twelve, but more apt, like more zero to five. Your brain is just set up for language acquisition. It's just set up to make all those neural connections. Um, and you actually see some research that shows that people actually pick up English faster. So English learners actually pick up English faster when you put mm. them in a bilingual setting as opposed to a monolingual English setting. And so there's like some really cool stuff happening inside the brain in terms of neural connections. Um, and it's it's so beneficial, actually, you, when you look at not necessarily bilingual programs per se, but you compare multilingual people to monolingual people, their brain is so different that um, I think it delays the onset of dementia and Alzheimer's by about five to eight years. So that's how powerful the cognitive benefit is to mm. being bilingual. Um, it's a pretty huge one. If you ask someone, I mean probably couldn't ask them now but like if ask someone how much would they pay or how much is it worth to you to delay the onset of you know alzheimer's or dementia i'd say it's worth quite a lot mm. and this is separate from all the other benefits of being bilingual and you're a bilingual speaker right yeah and you grew up speaking two languages yep that's right um what was that experience like well i'm bilingual but i'm not fluent not fluent enough to have this conversation in vietnamese enough you know for sort of family occasions you know those sort of occasions but to have a, a conversation in terms of like business politics or this kind of conversation probably not but my, my vocabulary is not expansive enough to cover that mm. yeah do you mind if i ask why that is yeah sure I, I think this is a really interesting point so i never was given the opportunity to do bilingual education or even the language program at school i think i only went through my primary school had Greek, and um, I think in high school it was Italian and Japanese. Uh, but my parents did force me from grade one to I think grade seven to do Saturday language classes. 
And these are at what they call community language schools. And they, you know, it's three hours on a Saturday. So from like 9am to 12pm or from 1pm to 4pm. And uh, that's how I learned Vietnamese, reading, writing, speaking. But I stopped going around grade six. And I think that's the, the challenge for parents is that no child, and especially me back then, wanted to give up three hours on their Saturday mm-hmm. to learn a language for which society has kind of implicitly or explicitly told you it's, it's valueless. It doesn't have any worth. It's not going to help you in your VC. It's not going to, and no one really cares. Um, and it's really just your parents kind of forcing you to do it. And you've been like woken up at like 8.30, like, hey, you got to get to this class and you're like, um, and that's the story of many, many um, migrant children as well. They're just forced on a Saturday to go to, to a language school. Right. Thank you so much for sharing that. I think that yeah. really puts it into context. Because, yeah. yeah, we're speaking about the Vietnamese bilingual program and that is something that young people might face if um, obviously the program is axed now. But, yeah, this is the kind of thing that we're trying to prevent. So... In 2020, we spoke to Tony Bui and Lana Nguyen, who are involved in a campaign. So the last time we spoke to them, the program was on its way out. What's happened since? And what is your campaign, Viet Speak, currently working on to counteract that? Yeah, sure. So we've sort of pivoted away from just purely saving the, the program at Footscray Primary and towards creating a new program because... The Footscray Primary was the last one. It was the only one um, in the entire, all of Australia, actually. There was no other one. So that's what got me going or angered me quite a lot because there was already an Italian bilingual program in Brunswick. And so they were going to go from one to two. And then Vietnamese was going from one to zero. But there was no plan from the Department of Education to say, oh, we're going to zero. Maybe we should start some like a new one somewhere else. That was never part of the the thinking or like problem solving. So we pivoted to, okay, well, we need to create a new one. And it's probably going to have to be in Melbourne's West because that's where a lot of Vietnamese people live. Um, so that's what we focused on. And we've expanded our scope to also include kindergartens, uh, preschool, uh, as well as going up to secondary. But probably, secondary will come a lot later. Just because if you think about the phasing, if we, you know, best case scenario, we got a primary school to uh, start a program in 2022, we really wouldn't have to worry about secondary school until like six, seven years down the line. Mm. So we're focused on, you know, outside of Footscray, just wherever Vietnamese people live, um, you know, preschool, primary school, secondary school. Um, and also... You know, the stuff that we've been doing is we've been talking to a lot of educators, we're talking to academics, we've been talking to current bilingual schools. So there's one actually, um, not that far from here, Abbotsford, maybe a few kilometres down Victoria Street. Um, they have a Mandarin bilingual school. Um, really great principal. I think I actually met him when I was in university and I think he was tutoring me uh, microeconomics back then. So... Um, <laughs> Really, really strange how things turns out. And yeah, so we've been doing that. We've been uh, holding events. We're going we're gonna to hold an event in a couple of weeks on May, May 22nd. 
Mm. Um, at the Footscray Community Arts Centre. Yeah, tell us about that. That sounds exciting. I'm so annoyed that I won't be able to attend. But yeah, tell us what we should expect for those interested. Yeah, sure. So that's a, a film screening. Or we can't screen the whole film, but we'll screen clips of a film by Steve McQueen called Small Axe. Um, and we're going to look at... It's a, it's a film about real-life events. Um, so we're going to look at what you know parallels, what learnings can we learn from from that and apply it to BitSpeak and we'll have some a lot of guest speakers uh, a lot of them from from BitSpeak itself as well as some guest speakers um, you can find that on our Twitter just just go on Twitter BitSpeak and you'll be able to see all the details there On Thursday, the 20th of May, Wyndham Humanitarian Network is holding a free Bring Your Bills Day in Wyndhamvale. Members of the community who have had questions about bills or debts can attend the event to speak to lawyers, financial counsellors, ombudsman schemes and other community organisations. The event will run from 11.30am to 7.30pm on Thursday, the 20th of May at the Warangal Darung Centre at 19 Communal Road, Wyndhamvale. Wyndham Vale Humanitarian Network is a 3CR supporter. Over the weekend, thousands of people took to the streets of Australian cities to bring attention to Israel's attack on the Gaza Strip. This current violence by the Israel military is part of a long line of attacks on Palestinian civilians. A recent report by the international advocacy group Human Rights Watch has described the ongoing dispossession of Palestinian land as, and I quote, so severe that they amount to the crimes against humanity of apartheid and persecution. Obviously, there is so much to this story and I'm going to reach out to someone who could you know, put this situation into context, tell us why it's happening and what we in the community can do. But for now, let's hear a speech by Janine Haroon, who was at the Melbourne rally. This is an incredible speech. Obviously, content warning. If this information is a bit heavy for you, please come back another week. Obviously, you can call Lifeline on 131114. So let's get into this. Let's hear from Janine Haroon. Hi, everyone. Um, I'd like to tell you my personal story, um, but before I begin, I would like to start by acknowledging the Boonwurrung, Boomerang, Wurundjeri and Woiwurrung people of the Eastern Kulin Nation and pay my respect to Elders past and present. While we gather here to stand in solidarity with Palestine and Palestinians, it is important for us to acknowledge that the same system that vilifies, oppresses and imprisons Palestinians also vilifies, oppresses and imprisons First Nations people right here on this continent. While we watch settler colonial violence unfold in Palestine, never forget that we have seen over 500 Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander deaths in custody since 1991. It is also important for us to acknowledge that while we as Palestinians were and continue to be victims of the colonization of our own land, here we are the benefactors of the colonization of this land. Our fight for the liberation of Palestine on this continent must first and foremost center Aboriginal sovereignty. 
And I would like to say to any First Nations people joining us today, your fight is our fight and our struggle is one. Uh, as I mentioned, my name is Janine and I was named after the city of Janine in the West Bank. I was named Janine as a sign of resistance and I was raised by my parents and grandparents to do that name justice. I was eight years old the first time I heard my name on the TV. At first, I was excited that my namesake was getting a mention on the news. And then I realized the reason it was being mentioned was because a massacre, now known as the Janine Massacre, was happening. I already knew that Palestinian resistance ran through my blood, but in that moment, I realized how inseparable the Palestinian liberation movement is from our very identity. As Palestinians, our existence is, in and of itself, a sign of resistance. Even though I'm named after the city of Janine, I'm not from Janine. My grandmother is from a, I'm sorry, my grandmother is from a town called Tarshiha, and my grandfather is from a village called Hattin, both of which are in 48 Palestine, now known as Israel. My grandfather's village, Hattin, was completely erased in 1948. In 2018, I returned to Hattin, and we had to find an old map of Palestine to try and figure out where the village was. My dad sat in the front seat of the car, holding up the map in front of his face, and we spent most of the day driving around in circles before we finally found Hattin. By the time we got there, it was almost dark, and we only had a few precious moments to soak in our surrounds. And those very short moments were the most confronting moments of my life. It was so hard to believe a village used to be there, that there were homes and schools and lives that were lived there. It was as if we had never existed. Hattin is not unique. There were over 400 Palestinian villages that were erased in 1948. And the threat of what is happening in Sheikh Jarrah right now is not unlike what happened to Hattin. And while Hattin is not unique, nor is the Palestinian struggle. As much as we are lied to that what is happening in Palestine is complicated, there is nothing complicated about it. Israel maintains a regime of apartheid, ethnic cleansing and occupation. None of these concepts are new. They have all existed in some form throughout history. This nation is founded on settler colonialism. We are all familiar with apartheid South Africa. What is happening in Kashmir is occupation and what is happening in East Turkestan is ethnic cleansing. Drawing parallels between our struggles doesn't only shed light on the commonality of different social justice issues, but it also shows us that as Palestinians, our freedom and liberation is so inherently intertwined with the freedom and liberation of so many others around the world. Now more than ever, it is so important to stand in solidarity and fight for justice and truth. One way to do this is through the BDS movement, which people have mentioned in previous speeches. BDS is a Palestinian-led movement BDS is a Palestinian-led movement for freedom, justice, and equality. It aims to pressure the state of Israel to meet its human rights obligations using the tools of boycott, divestment, and sanctions, hence BDS. BDS Australia, 
BDS Australia is about to launch a campaign against Elbit Systems, which is an Israeli defense and security company that manufactures weapons and arms and field tests these weapons and arms on Palestinians. The Australian government has in the past had billion dollar contracts with Elbit Systems and the Victorian state government currently has a six million dollar contract with them to establish a research centre right here in Melbourne. Yeah. Elbit, along with most of our campaign targets at BDS Australia, do not only harm Palestinians. The governments of India and Colombia also have contracts with Elbit Systems and both of these governments are currently perpetrating state-sanctioned violence against their own citizens. Please like and follow BDS Australia on social media to keep updated on our upcoming campaign. And finally, I would like to reassure you all that what we are doing is working. The Israeli Supreme Court postponed the forced evictions of Sheikh Jarrah citizens for 30 more days because of local and international outcry. We are seeing a rise in media coverage on Palestine and we are becoming harder and harder to ignore. Maintain the momentum and maintain the rage. We have a protest again, same time, same place next week. It's not over yet, our struggle is ongoing. It does not start or end with Sheikh Jarrah. Our work is only done when the entire Zionist project has been abolished. What a powerful, powerful speech. Thank you so much, Anin Haroon. We also want to give a shout out to Iris from Querying the Air who gave us this audio. If you don't know, the next couple of weeks there will be protests held across Melbourne and all Australian cities to highlight the current attack on Palestinians. If you like more information regarding the Melbourne protests, check out the handle Free Palestine Melbourne or visit their website at fpmelbourne.org. That's F melbourne.org and that is it from us today listen back to this week's episode and all of our episodes on our 3cr page at 3cr.org.au slash diaspora blues if you like also no pressure follow us on instagram at 3cr.diasporablues my name is Ian Shirwa and we will see you next monday